Hello, one and all. Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide. My name is David McAdam, pastor and teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it's a joy to be with you today as we read through the scriptures. Today is June 19th, and here in the United States, since 1865, it's been celebrated in many parts of our country as the anniversary of the emancipation of slaves in the states that rebelled against the Union in the Civil War. The Bible makes clear from its first pages God's original intention and that all human beings are made equally in His image. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And God's ultimate intention and the trajectory of His redemptive work is made clear in the Gospel, which tells us that God has overcome racial, social, religious divisions at the cross in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And one day we will see a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation praising God together in harmony, singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul instructs a slave owner, now converted, to receive Onesimus, his runaway slave, as no longer a slave, but as a dear brother. And he appeals to Philemon, saying, Receive him as you would receive me. That's in the 17th verse of the book of Philemon. Paul dissolves the master-slave relationship and puts in its place a brother-to-brother relationship. He asks Philemon to treat his former slave with as much dignity and respect as he would treat an apostle. Some of you may know that John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, was formerly a slave trader. What you may not know was that he himself, a white man, was once held as a captive slave to a black woman in Africa. Slavery was not just the practice of one race, but sadly was a universal phenomenon reflecting our fallen human race. John Newton, once converted, became a mentor to William Wilberforce in England who worked till his dying day for the worldwide abolition of the slave trade and the practice of slavery wherever it was found. We see many examples of sinful human beings bullying and oppressing each other from Genesis 4 onwards. The gospel is foreshadowed in the emancipation of the Jews from their slavery in Egypt and their captivity in Babylon. Our Redeemer, Jesus of Nazareth, becomes the fulcrum at the center of time-space history and commences his public ministry, announcing that the prophetic promise of the Old Testament was finding its fulfillment in him. He had come to free us from our slavery to sin and the fear of death. He says, reading from the scroll of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The favorable year of the Lord is a reference to the terms of the jubilee year in the Old Testament when indentured servants were set free. These terms of liberation are reflected in the Old Testament laws of the sabbatical year. Jesus is our Sabbath, and He said, If you continue in My word, then you are truly disciples of Mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is worthwhile to consider the liberating power of Bible reading. When the slave owner of Frederick Douglass discovered that his wife was teaching him as a twelve-year-old to read the Bible, he tried to stop her, knowing that if he were to learn to read the Bible, he would be forever unfit to be a slave. 
So let's pick up the Bible and read today's portion, and may we experience the liberating power of the gospel. We're starting today with 1 Kings chapter 20 and 21. We're in the historical section of the Old Testament dealing with the sad history of Israel's kings. 1 Kings chapter 20, Ahab's Wars with Syria. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and closed in on Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine, your best wives and children also are mine. And the king of Israel answered, As you say, my lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. The messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you, saying, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and lay hands on whatever pleases you, and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark now, and see how this man is seeking trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children and for my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, All that you first demanded of your servant I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. And the king of Israel answered, Tell him, Let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. When Ben-Hadad heard this message as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, Take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? He said, Thus says the Lord, By the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? He answered, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were two hundred and thirty-two. And after them he mustered all the people of Israel, seven thousand. And they went out at noon, while Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the booths, he and the thirty-two kings who helped him. The servants of the governors of the districts went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out scouts, and they reported to him, Men are coming out of Samaria. He said, If they have come out for peace, take them alive, or if they have come out for war, take them alive. So these went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed them, and each struck down his man. The Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots, and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself, and consider well what you have to do, for in the spring the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, 
and so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings, each from his post, and put commanders in their places, and muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And they listened to their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. Then on the seventh day the battle was joined. And the people of Israel struck down of the Syrians one hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day, and the rest fled to the city of Aphek, and the wall fell upon twenty-seven thousand men who were left. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered an inner chamber in the city. And the servants said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they tied sackcloth around their waists and put ropes on their heads and went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Does he still live? He is my brother. Now the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it up from him and said, Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go and bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities that my father took from your father I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Then he found another man and said, Strike me, please. And the man struck him, struck him and wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hurried to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I have devoted to destruction, Therefore your life shall be for his life, and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. Chapter 21 Naboth's Vineyard 
Now Naboth, a Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless fellows opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. 
Ahab's repentance. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his Sundays I will bring the disaster upon his house. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Kings. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Ahab of the house of Omri is still on the throne of Israel, the northern kingdom, in the capital city of Samaria. He is still worshipping Baal, yet on occasion humbling himself before Yahweh, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 29, and heeding the counsel of Yahweh's prophets, in 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 13 to 15. God is merciful in postponing judgment upon the nation of Israel, even though he has already directed Elijah to anoint Hazael, a future king of Syria, and had him waiting in the wings to be an instrument of judgment, bringing future attacks on Israel. Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, that is, Syria and Damascus, musters his entire vast army and thirty-two kings with plans to attack Samaria, the northern kingdom's capital. Remember, the northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is now known as Judah. Without inquiring of the Lord, Israel's king Ahab gives in to King Ben-Hadad's demands for his silver, gold, wives, and children. Not satisfied with this first concession alone, King Ben-Hadad demands to search Ahab's palace in Samaria and take everything Ahab values. The elders and the people of Israel admonish Ahab not to give in to Ben-Hadad's demands. When Ahab refuses to give the Arameans access to the palace, Ben-Hadad is furious and threatens to obliterate Samaria. Ahab responds to Ben-Hadad's threat to level Israel's capital city, saying, Tell him, one who puts on armor should not boast like one who takes it off. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 11. In other words, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Ben-Hadad and the kings were drinking in their tents when they received the message of Ahab's refusal. Ben-Hadad orders his men to prepare to attack Samaria. Meanwhile, an unnamed prophet comes to Ahab prophesying that the Lord would give the Israelites victory over Ben-Hadad's vast army. God is showing great mercy to evil King Ahab and is doing so to vindicate his name. And then you will know that I am the Lord. The young officers of the provincial commanders strike down their Aramean opponents. There is a rematch in the following spring. Ben-Hadad has been advised to recover from their former losses, restore the size of their army, and attack on the plain or in the valleys. They had a limited view of the God of Israel, perceiving him to be only a God of the hills and not of the valleys. Sometimes we too can have a limited view of God, seeing him only as the God of the mountaintop experiences and not knowing him during the prolonged trials and everyday life in the valley. God is almighty and everywhere present. He is the God of the valleys and plains as well as the mountaintops. Once again, an unnamed prophet has a message for Ahab. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, 
because the Aramaeans have said, The Lord is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28. The Lord once again gives Israel the ability to inflict 100,000 casualties among the Aramean foot soldiers in a day. 27,000 were victims of a wall collapse in the city of Aphek. The Aramean officials plead for mercy wearing sackcloth and ashes. An appeal is made to spare King Ben-Hadad's life. King Ahab concedes and makes a treaty with Ben-Hadad. The word of the Lord comes through another unnamed prophet who rebukes Ahab for his disobedience by use of a parable. As the king passed by, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If for any reason he is missing, then your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hastily took the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized that he was of the prophets. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and vexed, and came to Samaria. G. Campbell Morgan comments on the meaning of the parable. Quote, what a revelation this is of a perpetual reason and method of failure. We are given some one responsibility by God, some central definite thing to do. We start to do it with all good intention, and then other things, not necessarily wrong in themselves, come in our way. We get busy here and there, doing many things, and neglect the one central thing. That is failure of the most definite kind. If a man is called to preach the word and becomes busy over a hundred things other than that which is his central work and loses the opportunity to preach, his failure is complete. That which is our God-appointed work we must do. If we fail in that, the fact that we have been busy here and there doing all sorts of other things is of no avail. Concentration upon the work entrusted to us is a solemn obligation. End quote. Ahab is told that he will be held accountable for his sin. Ahab's selfishness is once again apparent when he insists on annexing his palatial property with Naboth's vineyard in order to construct his vegetable garden. He offers a land swap to Naboth, who refuses, citing that it was his family's inheritance. Naboth's refusal causes Ahab to sulk and refuse to eat. Ahab's wife, Jezebel, offers to take the matter into her hands, she writes letters pretending that they are in Ahab's handwriting and then makes false charges of blasphemy against Naboth, arranging to have him publicly accused by false witnesses and stoned to death. After Jezebel's plot to murder Naboth is executed, she tells Ahab to get up and take possession of Naboth's vineyard. We see Elijah in action as he comes to reprimand Ahab for his sin and prophesy his death and the end of the house of Omri. He also predicts the death of Jezebel, saying, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Ahab, hearing these words, humbles himself, putting on sackcloth and fasting. Because Ahab humbles himself, 
God postpones bringing judgment upon Ahab, but affirms that he will bring it upon Ahab's house in the days of his son, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 29. We'll see what happens as we continue to read tomorrow. Now let's go to the New Testament reading, Acts chapter 12, verses 24 through chapter 13, verse 15. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Chapter 13. Barnabas and Saul sent off. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul on Cyprus So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole land as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas at Antioch in Pisidia. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Acts. Chapter 12 ends with the report of the gospel spreading. Barnabas and Saul finished their mission and returned to Jerusalem. True church growth is the result of the word of God doing its work. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. In the first half of the book of Acts, we see that the church at Jerusalem is the hub of the Spirit's activity, issuing forth missionaries as the persecution of Stephen scatters believers. The apostle Peter is the main figure. In the second half, we see the church at Antioch as the hub of missionary activity. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome in Italy and Alexandria in Egypt. Because so many ancient cities were called Antioch, this city, 
located about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, is on the Orontes River and was often called Antioch on the Orontes, or Antioch of Syria. The church at Antioch is an exemplary church in that they had a notable leadership team. There was a diversity of cultures and gifts. The men had different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Simeon, African of Niger, could speak to the blacks. Saul, a well-educated Jew from southern Turkey, could debate in the synagogues. Manian could deal with the wealthy politicians. He was a friend of Herod Antipas. Lucius, Cyrene, modern-day Libya, could minister to the immigrants. Some had the gift of prophecy, that's foretelling more than foretelling from what we know, and some were gifted teachers. All were gifted in the ministry of the Word of God. They had a God-given vision for missions. They were willing to obey the Spirit and give up their best leaders to spearhead evangelism, discipleship, and church planting in new territories. This is the first church that we see deliberately implementing a mission strategy. We learn here that the Holy Spirit is very involved in the ministry of the local church. In the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit's role in appointing overseers. The term is used interchangeably with pastors and elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We see the Holy Spirit's role in evangelism, discipleship, and mission. The Holy Spirit did not tell the other leaders where Saul and Barnabas should go on their mission. The Holy Spirit told the leaders to separate Saul and Barnabas for the work he had called them to. This fact emphasizes both the importance of our personal accountability to the Holy Spirit's instruction and the role of His appointed leadership in the local church to provide spiritual watch care over the ministries and missions of their flock. Because Barnabas was from Cyprus, it is likely that he had sufficient knowledge of the island to make it a good choice for their first mission. They had a divine appointment with the proconsul Sergius Paulus at Paphos. Satan brought hindrance through a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, Elymas. The name means sorcerer. God's power was demonstrated when Paul, influenced by the Holy Spirit, called Elymas out as a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right in Acts chapter 13, verse 10. The Holy Spirit then struck Elymas with temporary blindness. It is not what we normally think of as being the signs and wonders that engender faith, but it fostered a reverence for God and as a result, Sergius Paulus believed the gospel. We get an idea of Paul's message by what is recorded at Barnabas and Paul's next stop. Paul and Barnabas move on to Pisidia, Antioch, where God gives them an opportunity to testify of Christ in the local synagogue. God willing, we will read that portion tomorrow. Now let's go to the Bible's prayer and songbook, the book of Psalms. Today, we are reading Psalm 137. And reading our psalm is Peter Healy. Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skills. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, 
lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Thank you, Peter. There are two parts to this psalm. The first part recalls God's promises to be fulfilled in Jerusalem and the heartache of not being there in Psalm 137 verses 1 through 6. The second half is the cry for God's justice to fall on God's enemies in verses 7 to 9. The psalmist expresses the need to be rightly related to the promises of God by being in the place where God commands his blessing. Figuratively, he refers to being in Jerusalem or in the temple but in reality, it is about being in Christ. It is in Christ that the covenant promises ultimately find their fulfillment. How can we sing the Lord's song of covenant promises when we are not positioned where the covenant promises are to be fulfilled? The psalmist recognizes that judgment must fall upon God's enemies, but anticipates that it will be the Lord's doing, anticipating the work of the cross. If God's judgment falls on his enemies anywhere apart from the cross, there can be no mercy. Now for our final stop on today's tour, we go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 16. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? This proverb discloses that if a fool went out shopping for wisdom, he would not recognize it if he saw it. Now let's pray. Father, there are so many takeaway lessons from these readings. Keep us from getting caught up with the busyness of going here and there and neglecting to do what you have called us to do. Thank you for the ministry of the good news of who you are and what you have done in the perfect redeeming work of your Son. We thank you that you have given Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, and for the government of the Holy Spirit, coordinating every member. We want to see every local church functioning like the church at Antioch, where every member responds to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for positioning us in Christ Jesus, who has fulfilled all your righteous demands on our behalf and has won for us the covenant blessings. We don't need to hang up our harps. We need to bring them out and play them joyfully, loudly, and symphonically. We thank you for appointing leaders in the church to provide spiritual watch care and safeguard the ministry of the word. We pray for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that they would hear the word of the Lord and drink from the well of salvation. We ask this in the name of our Lord, Savior, and life source, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, friends, for being with us today and joining us in our adventure reading through the scriptures. We look forward to joining with you tomorrow, God willing, as we continue our journey. If you have any questions or comments, you can write to us an email at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church or to sign up to receive a daily email with a written copy of our commentary, you can go to our website, newlife.org. Until tomorrow, God bless you and keep you. And may the Holy Spirit make you aware of God's presence, His truth, and His keeping care.